Hey, what's up, y'all? It's me, Brandon Jenkins. You're now listening to Mogul Behind the Beats. This is the place where we take a look behind the scenes and break down how Mogul gets its immersive storytelling. From the music, to the sound design, to the mixing, we spend a ton of time thinking of ways to bring these stories to life. We wanted you all to feel like you were actually there when the two live crew were doing their thing. Like the Pac Jam scene, where a young Rick Ross, a young Trina, and Luke all witnessed the rise of a new kind of music, Miami bass. We wanted you all to feel how undeniable that music was at the time, and how authorities would stop at nothing to get rid of it. Like in the record store scene, where cops raided the place and confiscated all copies of the two live crew's records. So, joining me today to talk about these iconic moments is the woman who helped bring them to life on the podcast, Haley Shaw. She's going to break it down for us and tell us how she built each one of those scenes. She's going to take us behind the beats. For the record, Haley Shaw is the only person who appears twice in our credits. First is Haley Shaw, sound engineer. Then is So Wiley, music composer. So, how'd you get So Wiley? So Wiley is just like a random choice. I was sitting around with a couple friends and I wanted something that was kind of similar to my real name, Haley Shaw. So like the S is a big deal to me. Okay. And like the Lee is a big deal to me, but it was just sort of like us throwing around names. I like that you broke the name down by sounds. Like that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Classic. I've been trying to explain to other people sort of what your role is. And I'm always like in a very simplistic way. I'm like, oh, she's the one who makes it sound like a movie. But How would you explain what you do? So I'm senior engineer composer is my title, but my main role on Mogul is mixing and sound design. So taking a bunch of existing material and affecting it and adding to it in ways that make people feel what the story should make them feel. I think that's how I would describe it in a convoluted way. That was short and to the point. (laughs) Okay, Um, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like... My background is music and audio engineering, so I've always just thought about the way things sound, and I love creating sort of an atmosphere. So obviously producing music for other people, but also writing my own stuff, and like I worked as a film composer for a while. Um, So just, yeah, imagining what an ambiance could be, that's a big part of just my entire life. So like when you listen to songs, when you watch films, are you in that seat where you're constantly breaking these things down? Yeah, I think, well, I think about sound probably too much when I watch films (laughs) or like in any other context. But the first thing I love to do is imagine myself as the person in the scene, the person who's on tape describing it. I want to imagine myself as them. So point of view is a huge part of how I think about sound. Listening to 102. There are a lot of spots in the season where I had to think, okay, are we outside or inside? Or, like, what's our location? You know, things like what's happening around us and what would we hear most closely? What's further away from us? Uh, Perspective is a huge part of it. Yeah. Uh, One of the scenes that was really memorable to me and really such a beginning part to the story um, the pack jam. Yeah. You know, I think um, for me, one of the most memorable parts is where the doors open 
and like you're making this scene before we get there and then there's a scene sort of walking through. Can you kind of tell me how you made that happen? Yeah, for sure. So when I first heard JT describe walking up outside and hearing the doors rumble, I just really wanted to create that feeling of possibility, like what's going on in there? Like this, it's so muffled, but you know. Right, it's about to happen. Yeah. You know, like that when you like walk up to a party or something, you can hear people outside and you're like, who's going to be in there? What are they going to be wearing? What are they going to be doing and like acting like and feeling like? And so I just wanted to create that vibe of like, what's going to be going on in there? Yeah. Um, a great way to do that is rumbling bass from inside the doors. And so that's how I got the idea of slamming open the door and making your sort of entrance to the party. So I wanted to do the door slam open on the beat. Like, we always beat match on this show. <laughs> we always do sound effects and music together as one thing. But also, and I think when you, as a person, when you imagine yourself going to a party, you hope your entrance is like that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, thinking about perspective again. Who are we? We're getting out of our car, we're walking up, and people are hanging out outside. The door's bursting open, and we're entering the party. Also, at first, we had Trina later saying, when you open the door, it's like thunder. We moved her up so that she could contextualize this moment, this thunderous door slam and, like, big bass moment. As soon as the door swing open, it's like thunder. Just imagine, like, one whole wall filled with, like, speakers. I mean, like, maybe eight to ten speakers, and this is one side, and the other side is equally the same. She gives context to what we just heard. I wanted those mic noises to be in there because, like, if you've ever yes. been to a warehouse yes. party, it's, like, just, yes. like, mic noise everywhere. Yeah. And everything in a warehouse is reflections. You're in a concrete box. Everything is reflections. You're just hearing reflections of people, reflections of music, reflections of bass, and definitely those mic noises. <laughs> it's like a sound that if it wasn't there, I don't know if I'd miss it, but the fact that it's there actually makes me feel like I've been there already. Right. Like, yeah, I, it belongs there. Yeah, for sure. Real niggas, right? What we call the real niggas. The goons, the thugs. We stood in front of that Vega. Even with the sound? That 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 the sound was the high. Okay, so the bass. Hearing that scene, you I can feel the bass in my headphones, but that's a feeling that I feel when I'm in the club. How do you translate that? Right, so as Trick Daddy starts to describe the bass in this section, I wanted to imagine what it's actually like when you're just surrounded by bodies, but like the thing you're feeling most is the bass and it almost becomes a little personal. It almost becomes like the bass is the only thing you can think about. And that's why in this scene, I wanted to filter out slowly everything but the bass. So all the higher frequencies slowly get filtered out of the scene so that you can only hear the bass frequencies. I think that section on bass was a good way to warm up some of my other favorite scenes in the season. Um, the one that first comes to mind is the top episode two, where you break down all the elements that make up Miami bass music. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that went through a lot of drafts. A lot of drafts. Yeah. 
All right, let's hear it. Miami bass is, is hip-hop from the South, from the land of Dade County. And it's, it's known for extremely like upbeat dance rhythm and bass. If you had to make a sort of, not generic, but if you had to make a common bass beat with your mouth, what would the beat sound like? Like boom, 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 boom. Oh, I do it. It's like based on the, the Goombe beat from the Bahamas. It's like. So when I first heard that beat, it it just struck this chord with me. It, it made me think back to literally high school and the lunchroom and how we all do this beat. And I was wondering where it came from. And he actually had the information. Did you feel anything when you heard that, just that tempo? It's oh, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like the the beginning of this scene is all based off of all of the music that would have been around Miami at that time, just based on all the different cultures that were all going to school together, as we talk about in the season, like everyone at school together, you know, maybe having all different types of music in their homes or like something they're used to hearing, and then just like mixing it all up and everybody kind of enjoying everything, you know? Yeah. That's where I think the idea came from to use a few different songs that we could mix together as he describes how everyone was listening to that stuff. So how'd you do that? Like, how'd you bring all the different cultural and musical elements together with sound design? Yeah. So something that was so fun to do with this one is the, the last beat that we used, this Bahamian song. At some point, we begin describing how Miami bass was actually made. And I wanted this to be a step-by-step -step kind of, of how a Miami bass beat would actually come together. And so using that song, the very last part of it, chopping it up, speeding it up, and then adding different instruments to it, that would be the way that a Miami-based producer would actually make a Miami-based track. Yeah. So something like Mr. Mix would do, you know, sampling something, putting it at a really high tempo, and then adding drums, like specific types of drums. So you can hear I'm speeding up the tempo. I didn't even notice before. Like. Yeah, I hope it's pretty smooth. <laughs> With the tempo going about 120 to 130 beats a minute. And we wanted to use specifically the 808 and 909 because obviously those are iconic drum machines that a lot of this music was made with. So. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, straight from the 808 kick. This is my favorite sound ever, this. Whatever that, that is. cowbell? No, the, the like, dun dun. Like it's yeah, like, it's like yeah. that Casio keyboard well, sound. It, it is a cowbell, actually. It's the 808 cowbell. Uh, it doesn't sound like a cowbell, really, but we all know that sound, right? Or at least in every Southern rap song ever, we know that sound. It's, um, it's one of my favorites. I yeah. never knew what it's called, and now I'm smarter. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. incredibly, <laughs> like, it really, like, roots me right back in the South whenever I hear that 808 cowbell. But, so more cowbells actually a real thing. Right. And all what right. was weird about that moment, too, was uh, I wasn't sure whether to use that cowbell or an actual cowbell because in Miami bass, there's both. You actually have these like crazy cowbell rhythms. Ding, 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 ding. So I wasn't sure which one he was referring to, but went for that one. Yeah. The iconic. Coming up after the break, Haley breaks down how she created one of her favorite scenes from the show. 
I've listed some of my favorite moments. What were yours? Like, what's the thing that stands out to you that you're like, yo, I, this was a thing that took a lot of work, but I loved it. I think my favorite thing now has to be the record shop. We had to start with a door open. That's my thing now. Yeah, it was tough. I wanted this scene to really feel like you're in the shop, like chilling out and just like checking out new music. But also we have these actual musical examples that Mm -hmm. pop up and need to feel really loud and really fun. And, you know, obviously they didn't need that much help from me to feel loud and fun, but like they needed to be in the clear, you know? Well, I'm I'm wondering, like, were all these, because a lot of this stuff we, we were pulling from old tapes, right? And the quality is whatever the quality was back then, period let alone how we're finding it now. Did you have to clean any of these records up for them to sound as crisp and clear as they do now? I tried to keep the vibe similar, but just take off some of the harshness. So like some of the digital clipping that might have happened, because that can happen in transfer, like years and years of it being sort of passed around and re-ripped and things like that digitally. So I just tried to take some of that off. But I do think that like this stuff is really blown out and like that's the way it was. So I wanted to keep some of that too because that's how it was. How much is too much? Because I think like you're saying, like you want to keep the essence and culture of it. Like the blown out sound is the charm, mm-hmm. but you also don't want it to feel like we're ripping it from YouTube, right? Like, right. Yeah. And I don't want anybody's like, you know, in podcasting, there's a lot of ear fatigue because it's a 30 minute episode. So I don't want anybody's ears to get, you know, I don't want people to be like, ah, and take off their headphones the moment it comes on. I want them yeah. to enjoy it. So it, it's a balance for sure. I didn't even know you could do that, like clean something up, but still keep the essence of it. I feel like I have like a ton of old mixtapes that should just pass you. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Like I got to stop here again. Like (laughs) the receipts. Like, that's oh, the yeah. printer? Come on, <laughs> yo. First, I was like, impressed by, like, the door. Because you know that you know that shop has the bell on it. They don't have the ding ding. Yeah. They don't got that. Not, <laughs> not Charles Freeman, not EC Records. He's got the bell at the top. Yeah. It was too tempting to put, like, the old school cash register sound in there. I yeah. just had to. I was like, sorry, we're doing this. So, with that, I'm thinking about the doorbell. I'm thinking about the receipts. They seem like minor sounds, but I'm thinking about them sort of in percentages. To set the scene, are they actually are they actually more important than maybe the music that we're hearing? Yes. Yeah, I would say uh, to set the scene, yes. Because mm-hmm. um, you need to give the listener a hint. Like, you need to take a sound that they know where it is and places them in a place, and you need to give it to them first and loud. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely like giving someone context. Where am I right now? Is there a cash register? Maybe I'm in a shop. You know, that's really helpful. Okay. Like all I do all day is try to imagine being the listener. And I have to do my absolute best to take a walk around the studios and come back and pretend like I'm hearing it for the first time. You're also really good about pulling out longer stretches of songs and just letting us enjoy them and bring us into the scene. Um, Like the song we hear in the record store, this techno song, Body Mechanic. Yeah, yeah. So this is... (laughs) 
This is kind of tough because this is actually Jam Pony regulating over the song Body Mechanic. This is the Miami DJ's Jam Pony Express regulating over this really, really dope 80s song called Body Mechanic. This Jam Pony Body Mechanic track was difficult for Haley to use. So she wrote an original song that captured that same 80s disco tech vibe, which is completely wild to me. So it's like somewhat of a similar style of music and we just made it in-house and it just happens to be at the same BPM so I can seamlessly edit between those two pieces of music and it doesn't sound like much is happening. If you want to play, maybe just, yeah. This? So that's ours. Yo, this shit's hard. (laughs) The way we did that was that me and... uh, Another colleague here, a composer here at Gimlet, Bobby Lord, we went into a studio and created the song that would be playing under it. And then me and Saeed went into a studio and Saeed had to regulate over it. Wait, Saeed, the producer on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Yo, bro, what? Yeah, Saeed had to regulate over it. And I mean, he was right there. I had to ask. Let's do it. Move, 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 move. First off, um, one, Bobby Lord is an amazing name. That's just a great name. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I had no clue that that was Saeed. Oh, yeah, because we... It makes sense now, but yeah. wow. Because I, we hid it in this record store scene. So who it was, like, at the end of the day, didn't really come through. But I'm just, like, definitely going to uh, call him out right now. It was definitely him. I thought you all ripped this from real... I thought this was like, this was just archive and you guys cleaned it up and made it sound really, really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wanted this to be like a smooth scene and we wanted to use that musical example and get out of it quickly. So, you know, creating something that just felt like it would be of that exact moment, like could be playing in the record store is really important. So it's like a layer in a layer. You know, it's a song in a song that then I edited to be in a record store that then is under Charles Freeman's voice. I, I take so much for granted. Like I had, wow. That's the point though. It's, you shouldn't be noticing some of this stuff too much. And we want to choose what you do notice. And what you do notice is Jam Pony and how good you feel while you're listening to the scene. I hope. Dude, for real? <laughs> you just been sitting on, did you know? No, I had no idea. <laughs> can you, can Saeed, you a man of mystery. <laughs> In, in one of the most hilarious 10 minutes of my life, Saeed regulated over <laughs> that song. Can I hear it again? This is amazing, sir. Singing is Bobby. Get into my When you think about all the music that's in this show, because um, a lot of it is collections of different genres to make new genres, how many genres of music would you say you've had to like dabble in just for season, season two? Oh my God, like, I can't even count. Honestly, just that's part of what I love and sort of the composer side of my um, experience, I guess, is just like being able to dive into different genres and learn everything I can about just culturally is very important, but learn everything I can about them musically. And obviously, like I'm a producer, so I want to know 
all the sounds that were in there, how they're affected. And a lot of how producers learn is also like trying to recreate other producers' beats. And that's something that I do all the time and have done for years. And so trying to figure out exactly what makes up different kinds of music, like exactly what sounds might be in it. And then like, what are the core sounds that might be in a certain genre or, or music from a certain place? That's fascinating to me endlessly. It's like all I think about, to be honest. It, it shows. <sighs> Haley, thank you. Thank you. That was composer and sound engineer extraordinaire, Haley Shaw, also known as Sawali. You can check out more of Haley's work on season one of Mogul. And make sure you go back and listen to the first season of the show. It was hosted by the late, great Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack. I promise you, from the characters to Reddy's insider knowledge of the rap game to Haley's sound design, the first season does not disappoint. And while you're here, if you like the second season, hit us with a follow button on Spotify. It'll help other people find the show, and you'll be notified when we drop new content down the feed. And speaking of which, we're going to be dropping a lot more bonus content in the near future. So download Spotify, because it's free, and search for Mogul and hit the follow button. We really, really appreciate it. All right, that's it for the episode of Mogul Behind the Beats. We'll see you next week for part two of behind the scenes content. Uh. Mogul is a production of Spotify and Gimlet Media. This episode is produced by Wallace Mack and Saeed Supreme with help from Chumo Say. Our senior producer is Matthew Nelson. Our editors are Lynn Levy, Caitlin Kenny, and Chris Morrow. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw. Music supervision by Matthew Boll and Liz Fulton. This episode was scored by Nana Quibena and So Wiley. Our theme music is by So Wiley. And our credits music is by Prince Paul and Don Newkirk. <laughs> <laughs>